Hey guys, welcome to episode number 22 of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Podcast. I am your host, Ben Brown. And today we have my buddy Wade T. Lightheart on the show. Wade is the host of the Awesome Health Podcast, is a three-time all-natural national bodybuilding champion, advisor to the American Cancer Institute and director of education at Bioptimizers Nutrition, which is one of the world's most innovative nutritional supplement companies. He is also the author of several books, including the best-selling book, Staying Alive in a Toxic World, and The Wealthy Backpacker. The Awesome Health Podcast is a big part of his mission to help others fix their digestion and transform their health with the daily practice of positive principles, rituals, and optimizers. Wade's an amazing dude. He is on a crusade for health, literally um, a world traveler from the time he was very young, uh, who has an amazing story and shares it with us, and how his health journey has transformed into uh, the importance of, you know, identifying the importance of nutrition, uh, of specifically the importance of nutrition and supplementation on digestion and the role of digestion in our ability to gain muscle, to lose fat and to experience robust health long term. This was a cool interview. Wade, like I said, is just a really interesting dude and has such a profound story and outlook on the role of digestion and health. Um, so we get deep on digestion. We talk about uh, how foods impact digestion, how our digestive system, the role of the digestive system on absorption and uh, assimilation of nutrients and why that's so important, how someone could potentially be a vegan, but also uh, uh, conversely, someone could be on a ketogenic diet, but, but both be experiencing awesome health. And so I think you guys will find this uh, very enlightening. As with all of our interviews, if you can kind of get one aha from all of the information that we provide, then that's all that we can really ask for. And assuming you do find value in the information that we're providing, in the guests that we're having out, then it would be, uh, we'd be very grateful if you could subscribe, if you could write a positive review, and if you could share this with someone that you think would find value in it. And that's really the best way that we can help increase uh, engagement, uh, find, have more people find our show so that we can influence health uh, and really, you know, ultimately make smart nutrition simple. With that said, I'll turn it over to Wade T. Lightheart. I hope you guys enjoy. Wade T. Lightheart, what's up, my brother? How you doing? Dude, I'm having a great day. So nice to be here, Ben. Thank you so much for having me on the uh, podcast. Absolutely. I knew when we connect at, connected at uh, Yuri's event, the Helpreneur Group event, a couple months ago that you were someone that I really needed to connect myself with to learn more from you and, and all the amazing things that you're doing in the industry. Um, you have an incredible story. You, you have multiple stories associated with your, you know, your your history. You're quite the world traveler and health crusader. Wade, you know, what is it that has sparked such an interest in, in a crusade, if you will, into determining, you know, what is optimal health? What is awesome health for people? You know, that's a great question because I had to I had to think about that a lot myself. What started that? And I, and I'll go not to bore everybody, but I'll go, you know, decisions in life shape your destiny. 
And I don't think it's so much the things that happen to you in life. It's how you respond to the things that happen to you in life. That's the key point. And there's a difference because we all know stories of people who have had like horrific, traumatic things and have been crippled by it for their lives. And we've also know people who have had those things and somehow leveraged that into uh, extraordinary achievement. And so for me, when, you know, life was pretty normal growing up in Northern Canada, you know, in Canada and playing hockey and doing all stuff. And, and, but three distinct things happened to me simultaneously when I was 15. One, my parents moved to a very rural place. It was five miles to my nearest neighbor in the beautiful wooded area, but it's you know, 500. It was a beautiful resort. They were caretakers of it. But I was a teenager. I, I lost all my friends. I wasn't able to. I was, you know, I was secluded ostensibly. I had spent a lot of time traveling on buses and I'd take a snowmobile in the winter out to the bus. And it was really crazy. So I had a lot of time by myself. Second thing that happened is my sister was diagnosed with cancer, form of Hodgkin's disease. And I watched her go through the medical model over four years until she died at the age of 22. She was my older sister, which was uh, as traumatic as that is and as, as horrible as people who've had to deal with somebody dealing with cancer, that was a formative thing. You know, that was, you know, we're all going to die. But for me, as a young man, it realized, well, number one, health isn't a guarantee. This is something that you usually find out later on in life, not in your formative early years. And the third thing that happened is my sister had given me a bodybuilding magazine at the, uh, just after she got sick, actually. And uh, in that bodybuilding magazine, I had Troy Zaclato, who had just won Mr. California and had two pretty girls on the cover and, uh, you know, driven mad with testosterone. I thought, oh, my God, I guess to get these girls, you got to have these muscles. And, of course, the comparison between a 15-year-old boy and a, you know, a, you know, 20-something very muscular guy, and it was, the, the gap was significant. So I took it upon myself to start training. And I built myself a gym in my barn because it was 55 miles to the nearest gym. So I got the sawhorses and I had a little uh, York dumbbell set. And, uh, and then I, I built pulleys in the gym and I did all the, it's just kind of like a Rocky gym or something, you know, where the guy's training out in the barn. Literally I go out there in the snowmobile suit and I was cold. So I was motivated. I thought health was defined externally. If, if I looked good, I must be healthy. And I, I would read the magazines and all that sort of stuff. So I started my quest there. And I think, you know, I went on to exercise physiology at the University of New Brunswick. And, you know, I, I felt the, the education, although it gave me a good background, it was like compartmentalized. There was no synergy between the different things that I learned and how do you package this and how do you put it together into a real program. And so what I started doing then was mentoring. I found people who were producing the result that I wanted, and I started to learn everything I could from them. And that was a training point. And then I just got on this big quest. So that's, that's how it all ended up. And it's, it's, it's just been an ongoing adventure ever since. So, so your, your entrance into, so you obviously you started training young and then you started with mentors and then you got into bodybuilding. Is that correct? That's right. And, and then, so through bodybuilding, what was your journey and experience with bodybuilding and how did your vision of health transform throughout those years of, of your career? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, well, you know, like anybody, I discovered Arnold Schwarzenegger as a young man. And what I liked about him, I read his book, um, Education of a Bodybuilder. And there, and there was three principles he talked about in there. He says, uh, 
you can achieve anything if you're willing to um, maintain a positive attitude and if you're willing to be have self-discipline and to work hard if you do those three things you're gonna you're gonna be successful and I said okay I'll do it and I followed that now and I got into the career now there's a there's a there's a dark side to bodybuilding and I think there's a dark side to a lot of sports at the highest level that's people are starting to discover now in the public image, but I think it's well known in the sporting communities and professional sports, high level amateur sports. And that is the prevalence of performance enhancing drugs. And people go on about testing and all this sort of stuff. There's a lot of people beating testing. There's a lot of corruption in it. There's a lot of, you know, scientific, you know, going back and forth. And, you know, if you, who's got the best scientists often wins. Totally. And I discovered this kind of organically as I went along. I, I, and, and by 1998, I'd competed in my first national championships. And I realized it was a drug culture. Uh, you know, essentially at the highest levels, it had become a drug culture. And I didn't want to be part of that. So I left, got into meditation, uh, you know, became, you know, got into a whole bunch of other things. And then I made a comeback in natural bodybuilding in 2002 and 2003. Now, in 2003, I went to the Mr. Universe contest. Now, I was attempting to do things as a vegetarian and to do it as a healthy way or whatever, but I had made some horrible mistakes, even though I had some of the best coaching you could have in the world, one of the top coaches in the world, Scott Abel. After the Mr. Universe contest in 2003, so I won all my championships. I'd been on a diet for 10, I guess almost 11 months leading up to that contest because I had to win three successive contests. So I put myself under extreme pressure. Yeah, You dieted down for 11 months? For... Yeah, yeah, because I competed. I had to win the Western Canadians. Oh, okay. That that, that year in in around uh, it was around May. The national, or excuse me, yeah, in the national championships were in July, and the Mister Universe contest was in November. So I had to stay in contest condition. I was in contest condition for literally six months, which is not a good idea. Unbelievable. And I I got after the contest, I gained forty two pounds of you fat crashed. and water. In 11 weeks, I went from Mr. Universe to Mr. Marshmallow, and it was devastating. And I was like, how could this, how could this happen? How could I be what's considered at the pinnacle of physical development? You know, you're low body fat, you're very yeah. fit, you have a lot of muscle, you know, your pictures look great. All that. Like, how could I look so good on the outside and be so messed up on the inside? And I had the good fortune of meeting a doctor, and he told me that. He said, Wade, you, you've learned how to build the body from the outside in you haven't learned how to build the body from the inside out. And that began my journey to learn how to build health inside on a cellular level, what constituted health, what constituted, um, you know, vibrational health or like, you know, absorbent energy, not just looking good, but feeling good and radiating that and all that sort of stuff. And so from there, I was able to rebuild my health in about six months, maintain my physical condition. And then after that, I started teaching it around the world. So through your last rounds of competition, you said you had been a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. What spurred that? And how on earth did you facilitate championship caliber physique with a vegetarian diet? Well, first I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> I want to be clear about that. Like people kind of look backwards and you know, when you don't know what you don't know, there wasn't a lot of people to go by. There was nobody that could do it. There was, you know, I was, you know, you're trying to break new ground, so you attempt a lot of things that don't work. Um, my first round, the first mistake, I'll talk about the mistakes first. I tried to eat 
like a regular bodybuilder only as a vegetarian. Is that like, so I, I try to eat 250 grams of protein, which is almost impossible on a vegetarian based diet. So that was one thing I overloaded my digestive system that didn't work out very well. So that was the lesson. So when I came back and, and after Oh three, I started rebuilding myself. I learned about digestive enzymes. I learned about probiotics. I learned about HCL. I learned about, you know, green products. I learned about plant-based proteins. There weren't plant-based proteins back then. The only thing they had was soy. And I knew that was not something I wanted to take in high levels. So, I mean, this is the long, you know, this is before the advent of all these vegetarian bodybuilding companies or health companies. And so I started learning about it. I found out about hemp protein. I started, you know, started experimenting with that, but really the enzymes and probiotic, my ability to extract amino acids out of the protein. I needed to enhance that. And by doing that, I was, it took me about four years to figure out all of the stuff. And I, I had uh, 10,000 clients around the world at the time uh, from coaching that we were getting data from around the world, people experimenting. And I came up with the formula uh, in 07 and went back to the worlds and, uh, com- you know, did better than I did the first time. Didn't have the crash, felt great, you know, and so I said, okay, we've, we've got it figured out now. So, so you were able to utilize the power of digestive enzymes and HCL and probiotics in order to better facilitate the vegetarian diet so that you could put on as much muscle as you needed to without consuming massive amounts of animal protein, which is what obviously most people that the, the perception that what most people need to do if they want to put on muscle is consume a ton of animal protein, correct? Correct. It, what what was the impetus though to become a vegetarian in the first place? I'm curious. Right. Oh yeah. That's actually that was your original question. Good question. Um, what happened is I got into meditation and I read a book called The Holy Science, and it was by a fellow by the name of Swami Sriyakteswar, and he was the the spiritual teacher, the guru for a fellow. But more people might be familiar with in the West was a guy by the name of Paramahansa Yogananda, which was the first Swami to live in the West. And he, he was kind of the father of the yoga movement and all of all the yoga people that came after that were really founded in it. He wrote a book called Autobiography of a Yogi, which is a thing. So I got into this and I, you know, I went to India and I started looking at stuff and I was like, he had recommended um, for meditation purposes of plant-based diet. And I was like, all right, well, I'll try it for two weeks you know, with the fear that I was going to dry off and blow away, you know, like I'm going to shrink into like, you know, lose all my muscle. And after two weeks, I was like, okay, that's okay. And I, and I tried it for two weeks more. And I was like, I still feel pretty good. And I said, well, let's go a month more. And so at the end of that month, so we had gone two months, I was like, yeah, I don't think I need it anymore. That was it. Yeah. And I haven't eaten a piece of meat ever since. And that was in 2001. And then what came out of it after that is about a year later is like, well, if this really works, I should go out and win a bodybuilding contest because I'm not competing. And I need to prove that this is absolutely true. I, it's not just an idea in my head or a theory. Can I actually do this? So I went back and started winning contests as a plant-based vegetarian. And I was like, yeah, I guess you can do this. So then is it your opinion that like, how do you view the need of the digestive process? Like, what's the, what's the issue for people then if, if you were able to, is it just for you specifically, or if you were able to consume a vegetarian diet and then still be able to do what we didn't think was possible, you know, without consuming animal proteins, is this something that applies to everyone? 
And if so, how? I would say it doesn't apply to everyone. And I say that with a caveat. And the reason being is there are deep grooved uh, sociological, physiological, and psychological. And I do not underestimate the influence of psychological components on how people respond to diets or training programs or any kind of belief system. I mean, all diets are some form of belief system, essentially. Sure. You really, if you really get down to it. And, and uh, so all of those are going to influence someone. Also, the current state of a person's physiology. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are very sensitive to blood sugar shifts. Some people may have eaten a lot of sugar in their lives and, and they don't have very good amylase production. Therefore, carbohydrates are very ultra sensitive to them. So if someone is going to go to a plant-based diet or a vegetarian-based diet, it needs to be done systematically. It needs to be done scientifically. It needs to be done in a proper way that you're, you're going to be able to achieve those goals. And it can be. There is an adjustment period. I didn't know that at first. I made all those mistakes. I, I did all yeah. the dumb things. And so I can say that. Now, can, you, can anybody get there? I believe so. Um, should everybody go there? I don't think so. And why that is, is because of those, again, those sociological and psychological pressures that may be, may, just may make it too difficult. I mean, I did a raw food diet for two years. I didn't eat any cooked food. And uh, although I enjoyed it and I liked it, and I do believe that everybody should do six months maybe of raw food diet just to clean out their system. I think it's fantastic for that. There are extreme limitations physiologically in stream, extreme limitations socially in extreme diets and bodybuilding is another form of extreme diet. Yeah. I can see how that would be extremely socially difficult to facilitate to say nothing of the psychological ramifications and, you know, peer support system and everything like that. So let's make the assumption that everyone could benefit from at least eating more vegetables and fruits in their diet um, at least moving them closer to a, a vegetarian diet or plant-based diet. And I don't think anyone would argue with that. But within that, what is the role of, I want to start to get into the role of digestion and how important it is in overall this, you know, your, your picture of awesome health um, and how it affects, you know, one is how it affects, uh, you know, the role of digestion and eating these foods and, um, the role of these foods and that the, the quality of the foods in the digestive process. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, so great question. Whatever diet people eat, there's, a, there's, an, there's an old saying out there that everybody heard, you are what you eat. Mm-hmm. And I would say there, that's not true. You are what you, can, what you uh, are able to absorb and utilize. So what you're able to digest, absorb and utilize. Yes. So when you look at digestion, most people don't think about it. When you put food in your mouth, when you put food in your in stomach or in your intestines, if it travels through the digestive process, and we'll talk about that in a second. It's not in your body. It's not in your cells. It's in a single canal that goes from your mouth to your anus. So if I went like this and I put a, a, a piece of food in here. Is it in my body? No, it's, it's, it's still not in the cells where it can be utilized. And the same thing goes with your digestive system. There isn't a very elaborate and specific process that requires. And so you start chewing your food, the food 
it starts to break up. It goes down the esophagus into the upper cardiac portion of the stomach. You've got about 30 minutes to 60 minutes before hydrochloric acid comes in. Your body says, oh, we've got food. Now, during that time, natural enzymes present in the food are supposed to break down that food. And then hydrochloric acid starts to come in if you're properly hydrated. Then that starts to do two things, break apart the food, change the pH. So different enzymes become activated and other ones become deactivated. And it also disinfects from any parasites, pathogens, bacteria, viruses, things like that. As it exits the stomach into the intestinal tract, your body releases what's called bicarbonate buffers, a fancy name for minerals, to buffer the acids back to a more alkaline state so it doesn't burn holes in your intestinal tract. And then it goes into the intestinal tract and there's various bacteria that'll break it down further and transport it across the cells and into, and then it'll start to go through your liver and your body and that sort of stuff. And then whatever's left over now becomes the waste and you eliminate the waste. That's the digestive process in kind of layman's terms. And there's a number of things that can go wrong. And the research has shown that digestive issues, gastrointestinal issues, to be more scientific, are the fifth leading cause of death, which is, are you kidding me? Yeah. If you look at colorectal cancer, you look at undigested proteins inside the body, and it's related to acidic-based diseases, crystallization, um, calcification inside of the brain, stroke, all these sort of things are, are basically food that hasn't been digested into a state that's utilizable in the body, heart disease, cancers are all these things are related to actually our digestion. And it's not something that shows up over, you know, a year. It's something that's we're in a gradual state of digestive degeneration over the course of our lives. And I think most of us have, when, especially as we get older, when we're 20, what are you going to eat anything? Yeah. You, know, you can eat anything. You go to the cafeteria, eat the terrible food at university you go out that night drinking with your friends and you drink a bunch of booze. You get up in the morning, you play some sports, you eat some cheeseburgers and chips. Like you just go and everything's fine. Then all of a sudden when you get 30, that doesn't work so well. By the time you're 40, you're like, man, I can't eat that stuff at all. And by the time you get beyond that, it's like, holy cow. I, I, there's so many foods I can't eat or you become insensitive. And it all relates back to digestion. I think that digestion is one of the most overlooked aspects of health and performance and physique, um, you know, fat loss, muscle gain, all this stuff that, that we're talking about, you know, just walk down the aisle at a Walgreens or a CVS pharmacy and, and look at all the, the different products that are available. And like you said, I mean, fifth leading cause of death, but whatever the, the percentage of Americans with digestive issues, be it, you know, acid reflux disease, um, constipation, you know, uh, IBS type symptoms, Crohn's, all of these inflammatory bowel issues. So it really is a, an extremely important area. And I know this from personal experience. And this is why, part of why what you're saying resonates so much with me was because this I suffered from digestive issues from the time I was in high school, um, which what I later found out was an H. pylori infection that completely suppressed my HCL production and contributed to other food sensitivities. So I've been on, that was part of my journey and, and my, you know, my search for what health means to me and how to heal my own issues was because of my own digestive issues. And so over the years, I've realized the importance of first and foremost, starting with people in terms of like, 
I understand that your energy is low. I understand that your sleep sucks. I know you want to lose body fat um, and put on more muscle, but at the most fundamental level, look, if you're not digesting, absorbing, and assimilating your foods, then we're just spinning our wheels. And so from a, an absorption, you know, digestion, absorption, assimilation standpoint, what are the things, what are the products that you recommend? I know you have some products um, through your bioptimizers company, um, but what is it, uh, you know, what, what are the specific things that people need to, should be including in order to optimize digestion um, for, you know, from their food? Well, first and foremost, we, let's understand why. In nature, every animal species eats its food in a live state. And all living animals have enzymes. Enzymes control everything from thinking to blinking. There's over 25,000 different chemical reactions. And enzymes, what they do is they actually, they're catalysts. They speed up every chemical reaction in their body. They make things more efficient. That's why you can digest things better when you're 20 than when you can when you're 60. Now, the only species that cooks its food is humans. And there's advantages to cooking food, storing food, all that stuff. I don't want to get into that debate. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is... If you look at tigers when they eat zebras, they'll kill the zebra and they'll open up, they'll open up the, the, the carcass and they grab where the intestines are because that's where the enzymes and probiotics are. They eat that first before they eat the meat, which is interesting because that aids in the digestive process, right? If I'm a horse, I go out and I eat, I eat the grass right? I, and, and I get the enzymes out of the grass, the things that make it live. That, the enzymes are the difference between what is dead a stone and a piece of grass. It's, you know, that's, it, it's the, the difference between the dead and the living. And so they serve a, a very, a, a chemical, a chemical and a biological process. So when we are naturally designed, we're naturally designed to consume enzyme rich foods. When we cook it, our body has to produce enzymes. And so how does our body produce enzymes? It actually converts smooth and striated muscle tissue, protein tissues, and converts those into enzymes to digest our food through a metabolic process. This is one of the reasons why digestion takes up so much energy. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why when people are sick, they don't feel like eating. Because instead of taking all the energy to digest the food, the body's taking all the energy to create enzymes that will heal the body and regenerate the body and fix the body. So the first and foremost thing that everybody needs to incorporate in their life, in my opinion, is taking digestive enzymes prior to their meal, just before the meal or sprinkle it on their food, take it because that's going to bring things back. Second thing is uh, probiotics. There's about 500 good bacteria inside your, 500 different strains of bacteria inside your intestinal tract. It'll vary from person to person. 10% are good, 10% are bad, 80% are opportunists. Mm -hmm. This is called the microbiome in scientific terms, how this, and it's changing all the time. But what happens in today's world of high levels of antibiotic everything, antibacterial everything, is we, we kind of carpet bomb our good bacteria, these essential bacteria that are into digestion. And sometimes we get disbalances inside these bacteria. Your condition of H. pylori is a great example of a bacteria strain that's now compromising how your body works. Yeah. Parasites can do the similar uh, things. If you travel to some countries and you get parasites, they can wreak havoc on your body mess up your brain, everything. It's hard to imagine how deeply connected these are to the body. So most people are suffering from some sort of uh, or some degree of disbalance between the good, the bad, and, you know, the, the opportunist bacteria. Mm -hmm. And so restoring that using, uh, using 
probiotics on a regular basis is a good idea. In nature, normally we would eat the dirt. We'd eat a carrot out of the dirt and we get the probiotics. If we would eat the food raw and we would get whatever bacteria and whatever enzymes are present, we don't do that nowadays. And so that's why adding these in and also to compound the effects of, of antibiotics. And then the last thing is uh, hydrochloric acid. It's an essential component of the digestive process. Acid reflux, so many people are taking proton pumps for, they don't realize is, acid reflux is caused by not enough acid, not too much. Yes. So what happens is you have a flap on the top of the, uh, on the bottom of the esophagus called the lower esophageal sphincter. And when, uh, when the acid builds up in the stomach, when enough acid, that triggers the, the, the flap to close. If there's not enough acid, your body's churning that, and, and some hydrochloric acid is actually spilling up into the esophagus, and then that causes all sorts of problems. Heartburn is one of the occasion, uh, or acid reflux. But left unchecked, this is a serious issue. Uh, leads into esophageal cancer and things like that. So all of these three components combine to optimize your digestive process. And, and if you're not on a meticulously perfect diet, eating lots of, you know, 80% raw food and making sure that and never taking antibiotics and all that sort of stuff, well, you got a chance maybe. But the reality is it's going to be very difficult. Uh, and so for me, enzymes and probiotics are the absolute insurance. And, and, and as I got older, I had to add HCL because uh, I didn't want to believe it, but I wasn't producing the same amount of HCL as I was in my 20s. And when I added that, that made a big difference too. Yeah, and that's, those things made a huge difference for me as well. Once I healed the H. pylori and then started to focus on, okay, now what foods should I be consuming and how do I optimize my digestion absorption of those foods um, through not only the, the types of foods, but also supplementing to aid in digestion. It made a huge difference and I've seen it make a, a huge difference in so many people's total health. And so it's, it's not just that we need to supplement, but it's also that the, the fact of the matter is, like you said, I mean, no one's eating enough fruits and vegetables, but also that the quality of the foods that we're eating isn't what it used to be 50 or 100 years ago. So there's simply, well, one is there's just not enough nutritional value in the food. So we might as well, of the food that we're eating, assuming it's quality food, like aid in absorbing as much of that as we possibly can. And then two is that because of what, because of stress, environmental factors, um, antibiotic usage, um, uh, bacterial infections, things like that, our body's own production of these essential uh, compounds is degraded, right? So even, even more reason to provide some additional support because look, we're just not, like a lot of people want to talk about, well, our sub, you know, are supplements really that beneficial? Well, look, if you live in today's modern world and you don't live in a farm in Canada eating only food that you grow, right? It's, it's like if you live in the city and you have any amount of stress and you live every, you know, in everyday life, then likelihood that it can benefit you is, is pretty high. So, so what should people be looking for? Um, what should people be looking for in a, uh, well, let's say like in a probiotic because we're of the, the conventional wisdom is like, well, I can just get probiotics in my yogurt and it's fortified in foods. Is that enough for people to be searching out? Great question. Generally, 
the answer is no. Um, if you look at the original research, uh, which started with uh, L. bulgaricus, which was the identified probiotic uh, with uh, Bulgarian peasants, they would make a, a, a kefir and they would eat it in the morning and the night and the evening. And they'd live to be like a, an average lifespan was around a hundred years. It was pretty impressive. And I was like, what is it? And it's these bacteria were assisting in the digestive process and also as uh, fighting in the immune system. Now, out of that research over the last hundred years has been the identification of a variety of different strains of bacteria that have beneficial effects on the body. These are called probiotics. Now, the thing is, is the part that people miss is these people who are using fermented foods and the same thing happened in Asia with the misos and, you know, the kimchi and, and you look at these cultures, almost all cultures had a history of fermenting foods. And inside these fermented foods can contain a lot of enzymes and a lot of probiotics. When you go to the grocery store and buy a yogurt that has probably been pasteurized, you don't know how long it's been there. You don't know if the bacteria are still active in it. Just to give you an example, by the time of the morning to the evening with these Bulgarian peasants, peasants the evening formula contained only 25% of the probiotics that the morning formula contained. So imagine that something took two, three months to be shipped. How's that going to stay functional? And so I look at first thing that people want is they want to have um, an encapsulated uh, freeze-dried bacteria. And what that puts the bacteria into is a semi-dormant state. As soon as it enters into the body, you've got moisture, you got heat, boom, that turns them on and they start replicating in their proper environment. That's number one. Um, I think you want to avoid uh, the preservatives that they often use, things like magnesium stearate and things like that. These things are not good for you, uh, especially in large quantities or over long terms. You want to avoid that sort of stuff. And one of the great ways to check to see if your probiotic is working is you can take a coconut a mixture of coconut water and, and some coconut meat, throw some of your probiotics in there and see if it ferments. If it ferments, you have live, it should get to be kind of a sour taste. You're having yogurt and it's sweet, probably not what you need. It should have a bit of a sour taste. And in North America, we're not very into sour flavors. Uh, sour and pungent isn't as popular here as it is in other cultures. So what, what would someone be how long would that take? Like how long does the typical fermentation process take if you were to? Great, great question. It's going to determine on a couple things. Uh, temperature, the amount of uh, probiotics put into the mixture and time uh, and the medium it's grown on. So for me, what I do is uh, I actually make a yogurt with the probiotic we use, uh, which is a patented kind of super strain. And we put maybe uh, two coconuts with the water mixed blended up, I'll put five of those in there and that'll create a formula maybe this high on a mason jar. Like we're talking uh, Thai coconuts and I'll let that, I'll put that on the, on the cover here down, um, in Panama and within about 12 hours, eight to 12 hours, depending on the temperature, it's going to be about this much. It'll fill almost fill the mason jar and it starts to get kind of a, a, a pleasant sour taste, but not too sour. And at that point, I can just eat as much of it as I want and you feel absolutely fantastic. Like you eat this formula and sometimes you just sit there and eat the whole thing. And it's, you know, by doing this, that something good is going on your body. The second thing is you're probably going to develop 
a, a new relationship with your bathroom, um, especially when people first start out on this, they start to notice that when they start going to the bathroom a lot, because now you're able to eat up all the undigested mucoid plaque and your body starts getting that undigested food out of the body. Yeah, that's definitely something that I notice with a lot of people and especially with consistent HCL enzyme and probiotic use. Um, one more caveat on that. One more caveat. I forgot to, um, every probiotic, and this is, this is what I call the big secret that nobody knows about in probiotics. They all look at, you know, how many million count is in the bottle or whatever, but what they don't tell you is the doubling effect. Uh, in other words, how quickly does that culture double inside your body at body temperature? So for example, um, if you take, kombucha kombucha is a popular probiotic drink that's kind of in every store and i love kombucha i absolutely love it it'll take three or four days maybe even a week to ferment that with sugars and stuff like that that they make those fermentations with a aggressive strain like uh, the one that we use in p3om it doubles every 20 minutes so in 10 hours we've got a, a concoction that's fermented multiple yeah. you know it, it's so you start doubling every 20 minutes is a lot different than if you double every day. So it's, it's really about like the potency of it. Yes. Yes. And of course with the kombucha. So you do think that they're beneficial, but really it's like a much lower potency compared to other strains, specifically uh, the P3OM that you guys have through bioptimizers. Yeah. And you know, and, and different thing, you know, everybody's microbiome is different. So you'll have some people that will respond really well to kombucha you'll have some people that won't respond very well to it. Some people would do better with jung or some people will do better with miso or some people do better with kimchi or sauerkraut or various fermented foods because of the way their microbiome happens to be designed that the, the, the bacteria that was fermenting this sauerkraut was much better than the bacteria, you know, fermenting on this other medium. And so that's where I think, the science is really starting to develop and cultivate. We're not where we need to be yet. But I think what looking at targeted specific probiotic strains to, 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 to get to help people is going to be the future. You know, where this is made, this conversation is making me think a lot about, and this is something I've, I've been thinking about for a while, but we're at an interesting time in our um, society in, in our growth in terms of, and, and no pun intended here, but basically, you know, with our obesity population, we're getting bigger and bigger, sicker and sicker. And we're consuming far more calories than we've ever consumed before, but we're getting far less nutrition than we've ever, you know, than we've ever had before. So people are extremely nutrient deficient, even though they're consuming an excess of calories. And of course it's, it's because of the quality of the food and, you know, extremely calorically dense food and, and the sheer quantity of it. But I also really wonder how much of it is because of, of uh, uh, there's just a poor digestive process and, and an inability to uh, break down, absorb, assimilate the, the, the you know, vitamins and minerals um, and, and nutrients that of the real foods that we're actually taking in. Is this something that, does this resonate with you? Very much so. I believe that obesity is actually a form of starvation. Yeah. 
And throughout history, we never had to worry about calories too much because the reality was food was an issue. Most people just didn't have enough food. I, I kind of find it funny. There's all these different kind of so-called historical-based dietary methods. Well, sure. if I was living in the savanna in Africa, I'm going to eat a different diet than if I was eating in the fjords of Norway. Just local. You, you, you ate what was around you at the time. And um, for the most part, a, a, an adoptive strategy was if you could consume more calories, you had a higher chance of survival. Well, now fast forward to the world that we have where we have virtually an unlimited amount of calories that you can eat. I mean, the average person can walk into any 7-Eleven and, and probably consume more calories in an hour than their ancestors could eat in a whole day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yes. know, so, and we're, we have caloric dense foods, but we don't have nutrient dense foods. And these foods oftentimes, because they have so many chemical agents, so many preservatives, uh, all sorts of stuff that our bodies are, have not been designed or have adapted to developing, that they're actually compromising these essential components to digestion. We're using up more enzymes. We need more hydrochloric acid. We're, um, we need more probiotic strains and, and we start beating ourselves down. We get sick. We take antibiotics, right? We take medications to try and solve, di- you know, dietary issues. And then those become, you know, uh, gastrointestinal deficiencies or dysfunction leading to all sorts of, you know, deteriorous conditions. And so, yeah, absolutely. I'm a hundred percent with you on that one. And what's interesting is I've never met somebody who wasn't exuding extraordinary health. I mean, all the people that I get to spend or or mentor under or learn from, and I know you're probably in the same boat here, every one of them who exudes wellness and vitality and a a, a nice fitness level and stuff, they're all using nutritional supplements. Mm -hmm. Every one of them. Not one isn't. And there's so many people out there that poo-poo them, and for the most part, most of those people don't have great health. So, you know... I mean, the proof's in the pudding, right? It's kind of like, that's what I like about sports. Somebody runs out there and wins a gold medal and there's a, there's a, there's a clear winner. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that and can appreciate that. And, you know, it, in addition with the art, the, the obesity epidemic is, is just something I was thinking about is, you know, we're cons- it's like the brain is constantly pushing someone to search for more nutrients. No, you better, you go eat more because I'm not getting the, the, the B vitamins and the zinc and the iron uh, that I need. And these, you know, the vitamin D and, and these common nutrient deficiencies. And so it's like, almost like your, your brain's constantly telling your body, like if you're eating all this shitty food, like you better keep eating because we're not getting any nutrition in. So keep searching, buddy. Uh, so a combination of improving the quality of the food as well as supporting the digestive process, I think would really go a long way. And honestly, there's so many people that I, I just can think of that. I love so much of that need to hear this information. So um, I, I appreciate that. With that said, I want to, I just want to touch on a couple of things because I'm, I'm really interested in your opinion about a couple said diets or eating you know, lifestyles or whatever. I'm interested in what your thought of is the resurgence, because this is nothing new, but the resurgence of the ketogenic diet and what you're seeing 
as it pertains to people's health, people's digestion, longevity, things like that? You know, it's a great, that's a great question because what's really fantastic is myself and the co-founder of Bioptimizers, uh, Matt Gallant, Matt's been following a form of ketogenic dieting for probably 16, 17 years, as long as I've been a vegetarian. So we are literally as polar opposites from a dietary um, requirements or how we choose to have our diets. You know, he eats very little carbohydrates, uh, except on maybe his spike days. Mm-hmm. Um, he eats a very uh, high fat diet. He eats a lot of animal protein in his diet. I have no animal protein in my diet. I eat a lot of carbohydrates and I eat all plant-based proteins. And um, both of us use digestive enzymes. We both use probiotics and we both use HCL. Why? Because it doesn't matter what the diet is. It matters what happens and how my body is able to utilize that diet. And so we both are, are strong proponents of the dietary practices that work for myself and for himself. And we're both strong components, proponents of, hey, you got to get your digestive figured out because it doesn't matter what you're doing. It's, it's how you absorb and how you utilize the, whatever it is that you're eating. The other thing is both of us take a lot of nutritional supplements. We get regular testing. I was just at the doctor today to set up my regular six-month testing to look at my nutrients, to look at my hormone levels. I have a naturopathic doctor, as does he who guides us to make adjustments because stress level does affect us. We both travel a lot. That affects us. Um, I live in multiple different countries. So what I'm able to access here in Panama in, you know, this time of year versus what I can get in Bali at another time of year versus what I can get in California or Arizona at a different time of year, that all differs. And I may get subjected to all sorts of things. So I'm always monitoring. We're always adjusting and we're always learning. There's no absolutes. But the one thing that I would say is an absolute is that, you know, with 85% of the population suffering from some poor form of digestive distress, there's a good chance that if you're listening to this, your digestion could be better. And these are what we found to have worked. That's great. Figure out the nutrition that works best for you support the digestive process and uh so that you can uh, you know absorb as much nutrition as possible and and feel content with uh, the the quality of the food and the diet that you're consuming um as much as it supports your lifestyle absolutely so wade where do you see your health journey going in the next five or ten years well you know it's uh it's uh it's constantly evolving um we were just talking before here we were uh, was at the bulletproof conference and i was listening to charles poliquin and he he introduced the idea of if you want to lower body fat levels to add one gram of fish oil for every gram of body fat, fat yeah. uh, that you wanted to lose and to uh, bring up uh, three grams of of l-carnitine uh, or one gram of carnitine for every three grams of fat. And I was like, well, that's a cool idea. That's, I, I really like that. Now, I'm going to attempt a vegetarian version of that model using plant-based essential fatty acids. Not for, I don't know what the result's going to be, but I'm going to test it. Um, 
I think that the realm of nutritional science moving forward for myself and for everyone else is on the cusp of massive breakthroughs. Um, if you look back in 1972, there was a development of orthomolecular nutrition, uh, in particular in orthomolecular psychiatry with Dr. Hoffer, um, Dr. Um, Hawkins, and Linus, Dr. Linus Pauling, the two-time Nobel Prize winner. And they started treating advanced cases of schizophrenia, mental illness, with high dosages of, nu of, of nutritional products. And they were, the world hated them. They, were, they turned the world upside down. And here we are as high-performance athletes, people who are pushing the envelope of health and productivity and optimization. We're all taking what some people would say radical dosage of nutritional supplements and things like that to, to see what we're, we're, we're able to perform. And uh, I think it's only get better. One of my good friends, Dr. Corey Hawley, that runs the Chi Institute, 60 years old, he's competing as a master's athlete, contains a massive amount of muscle, walks to his gym every day a mile and a half, jumps stitches like a little kid. He, he lives a very robust, vibrant lifestyle. Another friend of mine, Elizabeth Lambert, 58 years old, takes nutritional supplements, lives involved down in California. You see her pictures in a bikini and she looks amazing. And she has, she's training at gold's gym and she has more energy in the gym than all the bodybuilders in the whole place. So I think we're now able to quantify some of these things that we've been not have been. And I think the science is developing. I think it's going to get better. I think we're going to uh, do more. I think better products are going to be developed. Better science is going to be developed. Better testing is going to be developed. I think patented bacteria strains, that do particular uh, functions like we developed. We, do, we have a patented strain. It's not like an ordinary bacteria. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a next level. It's, it's specifically designed to do that. I think we're going to see more of those type of products come on the market because now the science is starting to validate what people were feeling 10, 20, 30 years ago. So as, as that goes, more money, more awareness, better products, better evolution. And that's just how things work in, here on planet Earth. Beautiful. So where can people find more about your products for one? And then uh, I want you to touch on um, where people can find more about the products. And then I just want you to give us a, a one minute um, synopsis of your awesome health course, because I'm going to provide a link for everyone to check that out because it's, it is awesome. Thank you. Well, I think that's probably the best place to reach me. Um, you know, we're one of the things I, when I formed the company with my co-founder, we want it to be a company that is philosophy driven, not product driven. What that means is it doesn't matter. You, you can't supplement your way out of a bad diet or a bad lifestyle, but supplements can really add to it. So uh, we have the awesome health course, uh, which the links will be in here. It's awesomehealthcourse.com, BSL nutrition. And what that means is you can go on there. It's literally 12 weeks where we talk about everything that I've learned and all the mentors that I've learned from and I give you in, in little videos that are five to 15 minutes explaining each thing, everything, digestive process, probiotics, about water, we talk about air. Uh, the awesome formula stands for seven things, air, water, exercise, sunlight, optimizers, mental beliefs and attitudes, education, testing, and coaching. It's an, it's an acronym like SCUBA. Um, with optimizers, what we have found uh, over the last 25 years of research and dealing with now, I guess it's over 15,000 clients worldwide, that there are seven basic things that the, the cell needs to function. Enzymes, probiotics, essential 
amino acids, essential fatty acids, vitamins, minerals, and then ultimately comes to last piece would be herbs that can be used for various things. Um, and so those things we do know enhance cellular function. Do you need them? Do you have to supplement your diet with them? No. If you want to experience awesome health, yes, you do. And uh, we talk about that and all the other things that come and air, water, and exercise, learning how to breathe properly, consuming the highest quality water that you can and exercising on a daily basis. Those are what I call the, the non-negotiables before you go anywhere else. And we cover those inside the course and uh, we're giving away the course to all your listeners for free. It's a $300 course, but everybody gets it for free for just uh, checking it out. So uh, it's our That's gift good. to the world. That's good stuff, brother. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm definitely on a journey to experience awesome health um, for me, for my family, for everyone that I surround myself with so that I can be you know, the best version of myself and contribute as much as possible. And I'm trying to share that message through our Smart Nutrition Made Simple show. And you are an integral part of what with what you're doing in the industry, with the influence on digestion, like I said, it, it is um, an unequivocal, it plays an unequivocal role in our health. And so I appreciate you taking the time to share that with, with myself and all of our listeners. And I will do everything I can to uh, support that mission and share as much of, of your guys' stuff as possible as we grow. And I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, I appreciate you connecting. I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, a long, uh, uh, you know, long relationship with you guys and uh, anything we can do to support you. So, you know, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's, it's been, it's been an honor. Thanks, Ben. Well, I know you're making a big difference in the world and uh, we're all uh, in this together as humanity. And uh, I love the industry and I love what you're doing. And uh, it's just a real pleasure to be here. Well, again, appreciate you. Keep up the good work and we will, uh, we'll talk soon, brother. Thank you. See ya. Hey guys, Ben back with you here. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Wade Lightheart. He is a wealth of knowledge and, uh, I really, I really enjoyed that interview. I hope you did as well. If there were one or two kind of nuggets or clinical pearls that you could pull out from there and implement immediately, or even better is if there's something that resonated with you that you think is going to resonate with someone you know or love, then please, by all means, share it with them. Subscribe to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple podcast and leave us a positive review. It's it's going to be the best way that we can impact more people and ultimately make smart nutrition simple. With that said, I appreciate you tuning in and I will look forward to seeing you next time. Take care.